All right, welcome to Steadfast tonight. Thank you. She likes my shirt. My shirt says Steadfast Family Reunion 88. Why not? I'm bringing 88 back. I was one year old. All right. Tonight is the third message in our four-part series entitled Everything I Never Knew I Always Needed. Um, Have you guys liked it so far? Yes. Good. You know what the problem is with having a good message is that sooner or later you have to have a bad message after that. So, you know, there's going to be one where you're going to be like, that was horrible. (laughs) Perfect, Robbie. Yes. I was going to start by telling you guys, my leg is better. Thanks to your prayers. <laughs> Thanks to your prayers. Uh, last Thursday night, I went home, laid down, put it up. Uh, the next day, it felt better. Next day, even better. And uh, over the weekend, actually went down, drained about like, I don't know, three or four teaspoons of fluid out of my knee. It was disgusting. It was pretty cool. But... um Got all that done. My knee is actually feeling better. I'm back at work this week, which is so sweet. Not only because I like my job, but because I'm making money, which is is good. Uh, So uh, my knee is feeling better. Thank you very much for all the prayers. Thank you for actually kind of caring a little bit. Our message series so far, if if you paid attention, is about what an average person needs inside of their life. That's what the real focus of it is. Uh, We have these different topics and we talk about them, but what it's really pointed at is what an average person needs in their life and how the church is really the one who fulfills these. The church really makes this life be able to be lived to the fullest. We're talking about something very important. Like I said, we're talking about family and how the church is going to provide this. One, one more uh, redefinition for you guys. I'm sure you remembered, but just in case you didn't, the church is not the building. The church is not a service. The church is the people. So, once again, make sure you change your um, biology of the word, if you will, in your head. So when I say church, you think the people of God. You don't think of a building, a time, a service, because that's not what it is. So get that back in your head. Family. By Oxford Dictionary starts and it says, as the first definition, a group consisting of two parents and their children living together as a a unit. Secondly, a group of people related by blood or marriage. Third, the children of a person or couple. All the descendants of a common ancestor. Or all the languages derived from a particular early language. I've never heard that before. Or six, a group united by a significant shared characteristic. I have a few comments on this. First of all, I think Oxford's a little old school on their thinking. There's probably a lot of people who sat down when they read number one, and they're like, I suppose I don't have a family because it says that by definition it has to be a group consisting of two parents and their children living together as a unit. Well, lots of us probably say, well, I only have one parent and we don't really live together as much of a unit, but are we still a family? Kind of an old school definition. Um, one of the basic needs of being a human being is, is having some sort of family. Um, these people are supposed to be the closest of close in your lives. They're supposed to know you inside and out. They're really supposed to actually be um, part of your life. Oftentimes, these are people who share blood relation with us, uh, people who we grew up with in our lives. 
These can also be um, just people who we spend a lot of time with. Uh, family is going to know a lot about what your daily routine is, a lot about um, who you are in general in this life. And they should actually be a significant part of your life. You shouldn't be able to just remove family and go on with your life in the exact same form or fashion. It should actually take something away from you if you consider removing your family from the picture. So that's a good way to look at it on what family is. To start, can you guys tell me any really, really perfect families? Like characteristic perfect families. Like the first one that comes to my mind is the Bradys. Totally. Brady Bunch, that perfect family where... Where every single time a, pro- uh, a problem arises and in less than half an hour they can figure out how to all be happy at the end of the sitcom. I heard in the back, totally, uh, Leave it to Beaver, the Cleavers, amazing uh, parents. They're so nice and even when the dad does something wrong, he goes and he apologizes to his son all perfectly. A very good example. Any other perfect families on TV? Yes, Gina. The Tanners. Who are the Tanners? Full house. That wasn't a perfect family. What? I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I you know I don't I'm not sure about that one, but I'll accept it. Okay, here. So let's let's move on from this, okay? There's some really good ones that we can think of like that. But there's probably a lot of you guys who can think of a lot of really bad examples. I heard some people shout out, um, like mine, obviously, first one is like Simpsons, because like you see all the violence in between them. And uh, there are some beautiful, uh, amazing characteristics that come through on Simpsons, especially the older ones. But you see a lot of problems with that, obviously. Um, many of us might have a bad taste in our mouth. And I know I did this last week, and I might have even done it the week before. But what I'm saying is, once again, as I use the term, unloading the term family, just as we did last week with school. And it's this, is that many of us have a lot of real problems in our family. Many of us have had family who really hurt us. Many of us have seen very, very bad and poor examples of family. Statistically, you know, a majority of um, sexual, physical abuse comes by family members. That's just statistics today. Um, A lot of people really blame a lot of their own problems as they get older. They link it back and they see that it was because of mom, dad, uncle, aunt, stuff like this in their lives. So a lot of times, people, when they hear the word family, they might kind of get what I'm going at, but it still might carry some pain with it. And if that is the case with you, I first of all want to say I'm sorry that that has been your representation of family in this world. I'm sorry that you've had to go through that because no one should have to. And the reason is is because that's not one bit what God wanted out of family. That's what Satan and what the world wanted to turn family into. What God wanted for a family was something really, really beautiful and something amazingly pure. And the world has changed it, so now a lot of people, when they hear the the word family, um, it brings back pain. And they think about all the different times they've been mocked, hurt, abused. And uh, if that has been the case... I know it's insanely hard, and I don't know, I don't really know you guys all in the crowd. Some people might have things, I mean, there's people who you grow up with your entire life, and you'd never know the fact that they had severe childhood problems because of what their family had did to them. And what I want you to do is, even just for tonight, um, to try, to try to put that aside, to get that bad aftertaste out of your mouth, and to try to think about what this actually means.
because what we're going to talk about family tonight um, replaces all that pain. It's going to be something that's a lot more beautiful. So don't let the word be drugged down by people who tried to hurt your life. Focus on what's going to be good tonight. So um, as you guys think about family, some of us might have bad ideas, maybe not that intense, but just like, man, when I think of family, I think about getting in fights, getting in yelling matches, different things like that. Um, Proverbs 17.17 in the NIV, uh, it says this, and I think you guys might laugh at this. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It depends on how you read this, but when I read this, you say, man, that is the truth, isn't it? Constantly getting in fights, beating on each other, yelling at each other. I have a story for you here. Um, My dad, when he was growing up in Troy Grove, uh, really close neighborhood. A lot of people knew each other. There was this family in Troy Grove. Yours is different because you're reading in the NLT. It's okay. All right. There was, there was these, these, this family, right? And everyone knew that this family was absolutely crazy. Crazy. Bunch of different brothers. And my dad would say that he would be out on his front porch, and you would literally hear the scuffle begin. You'd hear someone get knocked down, and you'd start to hear stuff getting overturned, back and forth. And before long, you'd see the door just ba-boom, blow open, and someone would just come throwing out, roll down the steps, and two or three of them would pile out and just start beating on each other, these brothers, right out in the front yard. Right out in the front yard. Crazy family. He says that he, honest to God, remembers a time when one of them ran out the front door and one of them threw a fork and stuck it in the other brother's back. You're talking about real family fights. That's not a joke anymore. That's just painful. And uh, I don't really know... What you guys had fight-wise, uh, I know mine was a lot less severe than that. But um, definitely some people are like, there's some pretty bad fights. Uh, I couldn't imagine actually seeing that and being part of that. It's kind of scary. Like I said, though, this is not what God wants of family. Um, it's, this is what the world has made it. And it's really supposed to be special. Uh, the other definitions that we had for family... I really didn't care for that much when I read through those. None of them really um, struck me and, and made me think anything of it. So what I come up with was kind of with my own definition. And I don't know how you guys would like it or not. And I said this, family. These are people who know you well enough to have a reason to leave, but they won't. That's what I say family is. People who actually know you well enough that they have a reason why they should walk out of your life, but they still won't do it. That's what I consider family. And we need this kind of family, and the church is this family. And when I read that verse to you, I'm actually reading it incorrectly. If you read it by a, by a correct um, interpretation, like if I took, and I, I read it for you in NIV, and it's just because it's older language, it's hard to understand. The message says this, friend loves th- a friend loves through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Not the fact that a brother is born for adversity, but a a brother is born for a time of adversity to be there with you. That's what it's saying. And that's what it's really supposed to be, not the other way around. So when a new believer first comes in, a new believer comes into the church and they're looking for something. They know that there's something missing inside themselves that they need, um, Oftentimes, what our response back to them is obviously telling them about Jesus Christ, telling them about themselves, just like we talked about last week. Uh, maybe this kind of uh, selfish thing about learning about themselves, learning about Jesus Christ. 
And um, they learn about sin. They learn about the different things, forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And what's really cool is this is at the point where the church gets to be Jerry Springer, Oprah Winfrey, uh, name a talk show host, whatever it is. The church gets to play this role, and this is what I mean. We get to reintroduce people to their father, their long-lost father that they never knew. They get to hear about sin, and they get to hear about forgiveness in Jesus Christ and accepting him as their savior. And when they do that, we get to say, I got the DNA test results. God is your father. And we get to bring that back to them. Just like uh, a blood test on a TV show, um, fortunately for you, it doesn't turn out that it's that guy who doesn't want you anyway. You've seen those where they find out, they're like, Chuck, you are the father. And he hangs his head really low, all sad. You get to hear the fact that God is your father, and he stands up proudly because he wants you back. And that's absolutely awesome. Um, our father in heaven, God. Deuteronomy 32, 6b, just the second half, because this is the point of it, says, Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? God is our father. He's the one who made us. Um, He might not have always been there because we kind of pushed him away. When we were in sin, what we did is we made ourselves so God couldn't really look at us. But then when we come back into this relationship with Christ, what happens is, is then God could look fully on us, and we finally get to meet back up with our dad. It's absolutely amazing. Um, sometimes this even comes as a replacement to the dad that we didn't have in life. The reason why I say this is because I've seen a perfect example of this in my own mother. Uh, my mom had a tremendously hard childhood. Um, dad was never there. Mother died at an early age, raised by her sisters. Um, dad was abusive sexually to the entire family of, of, uh, of girls, uh, abusive physically, a horrible situation that she had to grow up in. And she had never had a father that really loved her. And when she finally came to a point where she met Jesus and she saw that God was her father, she finally found one that actually loved her back. That every time she had given of herself to try to love her dad, to love other men, They never really came up to what she was hoping for, but when she gave her life and her love to God, he answered back and loved her just like she wanted. This happens all the time with people, is you realize the fact that I had an imperfect dad, but then you gain access to this perfect dad. I believe I said in an earlier message that God is the most amazing dad. He's so cool. He's like that dad that everyone else wants to hang out with. The one where everyone comes over And he's the cool dad who owns, like, the big boat. He owns all the cool different stuff. All the kids in town, they want to come and they want to hang out with that family because they have a really cool dad. That's who our dad is. That's God. Psalm 68.5, it actually says, uh, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. It says, those who don't have a dad, I'm it. Those who don't have anyone to defend him, that's me. And um, what's cool about this is as we start to tell people that God is your dad, we say, wait a second, God's my dad too. So what does that make us? That makes us brothers and sisters because we both have the exact same dad. So not only that, but now we're defining our family. As we were talking about what is your family, the church, the people, you start to realize, wait a second, these people are really linked to me. You know, we talked about the whole linking of of blood. Maybe not by that, but God created them and God created me. And we both understand that in our relationship. 
we're brother and sister. And uh, as we realize we have the same dad, uh, this is really perfect. This becomes our family, not just our family at home of blood, but we realize that all these people who claim Jesus Christ as their own, who know about him, are our brothers and sisters. Jesus said it probably the perfect, uh, the most perfect, which makes sense, in, uh, in Mark 3, if you want to turn there. Mark three thirty one through 35, and I will read it for you. All right, so Jesus is out, you know, teaching all this different stuff. And uh, he's in a house. And it says, starting in 31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It's kind of hard to read. Who says, who are my mother? But you, you get the idea of the point. Um, he said that anyone who follows God, they are my brother, they are my sister, they are my mother. And you see this real family that grows in between. Because what we do is we have this linking characteristic that's so much more important than everything else. Um, whatever you have in friendship, whatever you have, even in, the, in your family, blood, all of that seems amazingly thin compared to our both agreeing that Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's so much bigger. So much bigger. I've been friends with people um, who we share almost every common characteristic, but they're not saved than I am, and I don't feel nearly as close to them as to someone who we basically disagree on everything but we both are Christians. It brings a closeness that doesn't come from anything else. So in this family, though, now that we've defined it, uh, this family around us in the church that happens, there needs to be love. And uh, it is absolutely essential. It has to happen. You cannot tell me, uh, as, as the church, as you who are already part of the church, that you love God, but you do not love people. That's a lie. Uh, You cannot say that I love God with all my heart, but I don't care to be part of this family. That's really not me. That's completely against what the Bible says. In 1 John 4, 19 through 21, it says this, We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how do we love God who we have not seen. Now, I'm pretty bold uh, in what I say. People who say that they love God but don't love their brothers and sisters in Christ are doing one of two things, in my opinion. One, they're either lying physically, verbally, and it's not true in their hearts. Or two, it is true in their hearts, and they're not saved. And I'd be just that blunt about it. I don't believe that you can have salvation, which means to have Jesus Christ in your heart, and then still not love people. Because the Bible says that you can't love God if you don't love people. And if you don't love God, how could you possibly have Jesus in your heart? You see the reasoning? So I really think that if you say, I love God, don't care about the people, I say, either you're lying or you're not saved. One of the two. You can take your pick. And you can change that, obviously. It's not like that's, that's set in stone, but you have to obviously decide past that because you cannot say those, those two statements. It's like the old song from the old sitcom, Love in the Marriage. You remember that? 
Love in the marriage, love in the marriage, goes together like a horse and carriage. I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. You get it? You cannot love God and not love people. You cannot have one without the other. So you can't tell me that that isn't, you can't tell me that because it's a lie. All right. Now, once you have the set, this entire series so far, as I've said, has been about what people need. Um, And the single biggest need that the church is going to provide as this family, like we said, is going to be love. And it seems so blasé, love. I've heard it a million times. Um, It seems so simple, but it is oh so important. It's an absolute essential in a person's life to have love. And this is where, really, as a family, the church, what we're going to provide in a few different ways, but it's going to be all about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this about love. There are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That's a very passionate statement, to say that faith, hope, and love, and love is the most important of those three. So if that's true, then our basis has to be love. Because as far as I'm concerned, when we are talking about the definition of what I say a family is, a family is love. That's really what it's made up of. Um, Now, we see the effects of this love uh, in what we get from a family. And what I mean by is this. um, The church family is going to provide certain things. And the first thing that really shows their love is this is a closeness and a companionship that the church provides for people. Um, a family is supposed to spend time together. A lot of time. A lot of time together. Uh, people aren't meant to live a life alone. They need interaction. Uh, a person will go insane if they don't have some sort of physical contact. Do you guys remember the movie Castaway? guy went nuts, started talking to a talking to a volleyball. Wilson, yes. He had to find someone to communicate with because humans don't like to be alone with that much in their head. They want someone else to share that with. Um, People want to know other people, and they want other people to know about them, even though it seems hard sometimes. Some people are like, no, I don't, but it's really just because they're kind of closed off and they're scared a lot of times. People really do want to get to know other people. You want to have people around you. You want to have, um, you want to have those that are really surrounding you in life. Um, these are not just like friends who know a few things about you, the surface things that make you who you are. But these are deep relationships um, where they actually know about what your life is about. Not about what you say you are, not about what you do, but what your actual life is about. That's what this companionship really means. It reminds me personally of the Acts Church. We've read some some uh, some passages out of there. These people would go to the synagogues together. They would spend time uh, te- learning from the teachers. Then they'd go home and they'd eat the Lord's Supper together. Then they'd hang out in their houses together and they'd talk more about God. They did life together. That's what they did. They shared each other's lives. They went and they worked together. I'm sure they went off and did chores together during the day. And um, they spent 
a tremendous amount of time together, which created this closeness. Um, it's an important thing. It's not something that I'm coming up with, but it's something that God's coming up with. It comes actually, uh, Psalm 68, 6 says this. It says, God places the lonely in families. So God obviously has to care about the family structure. He takes people who are lonely and he's going to provide families for them. This interaction that we need. Um, like I said, this is doing life together. As a personal example, um, me, as I started coming to uh, a church and really found uh, the family of God, what happened is, is I found people who actually... Um, wanted to be part of my life. I found people that I could spend hours and hours and hours with and not get tired of. I found people who I could interact with and have fun with. I found people that I actually could share life with. I could talk to um, about anything, about anything in my day. And it absolutely changed my view on what the family of God is because I saw it firsthand, I experienced it, and I fell in love with it when I finally got to have it. Second thing that we really do show love as the church, as a family, is showing acceptance. And uh, unlike many other groups you're going to find all over, you'll find a group you might want to be part of, uh, you don't have to be anything to be accepted. And what I mean by is this, is you don't have to be cool, you don't have to be funny, you don't have to be clean, you don't have to be anything. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are who you are. Uh, I have a perfect, a perfect story for it. One of my favorites. It's, it's in John 8, if you guys want to turn there. And uh, it's John 8, 3 through 11. And it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said, no one. And Jesus says this, Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. When I read that, it absolutely blows my mind. And that's where this acceptance comes. Um, just like I talked about earlier, that because Christ loved us, then we so love people, it's the exact same thing, is that Jesus showed this amazing uh, merciful acceptance to us is that he didn't condemn us. He forgave us of our sins. And as people come in, um, you know, there's so many groups where you have to jump through a hoop, you have to dress right, you have to present yourself right, you have to be a certain amount of funny, but not too funny. You got to be just right to fit in with their club. Because otherwise, you just kind of get the boot and they leave you in the dust. Um, here, you just have to be you. The church you shouldn't have to be anything but what you are. And even people who don't really know God yet, like this woman, she's caught in the act of adultery. And that didn't change Jesus' love one bit, did it? He loved her the exact same, even though she was a dirty mess, you know? 
by what the law said she was she was she was she was she was dirty compared to him and he said the fact that it didn't change one bit he says i don't condemn you and that's exactly what this church this family is supposed to be is an acceptance that doesn't matter whether or not they believe exactly what we do whether or not they are completely in line with what our scripture says yet um whether or not they smell good whether or not they look good whether or not they smile nice it's an acceptance that absolutely doesn't matter who it is but it's a love for them where we accept them um here in the church and i'm speaking not just for for steadfast but for the church in general is where you finally get to forget your act you finally get to forget your act and i say this because i really do believe probably everyone out there has their act i know that i had mine personally and I think most of us develop it because of this cruel world. Uh, as you go through the school system especially, you start to get your act. Some people, um, you know, turn to being uh, the extreme. They want to be different than everyone else. And a lot of times what that is is it's, it's rebellion, and um, a lot of times it's not even them. And it can go the exact opposite way in this, is that I had my act, and my act was this, is that... I am really, really cool. I still am. I am really, really cool. And I fit in with all of you guys because I'm cool enough to tell you what to do. This is my act. That um, I really know a lot about what I'm saying, that I'm very smart, that I'm attractive, and that I try to be as attractive as I possibly can be to every single girl so they find value in me. I try to take and lead on women in many different places in relationships, those who even just want to be my friends. I will tease them with some sort of game in order to make them want, to more, out, want more out of me so that it makes me feel good. And it's one big act. One big act in order to make myself look cooler, to fit in, in order to get along with people who really didn't care about me anyway. Um, the fact that I'm a Christian, but while I'm here, I don't mind you cursing, I don't mind you swearing. In fact, I'll join in with your dirty jokes because I find those funny too. And it was all one big act that I had to put on in order to fit in, in order to be cool. And when finally I met people who actually accepted me for who I was, I got to lay this act aside. And I'm not saying that it was easy. But what I finally got to do was allow myself to be stupid. Allow myself to be weird. Allow myself to not have to be cool. Allow myself to not have to do all these different stupid things that used to make me cool. But to actually be who I am. Not be like you. Not be like the, the church that was around me um, being my friends. But finally get to be who I am whether that's stupid, whether that's weird. And when I finally did it, what I got was this. Is I got completely loved upon. Because when I was myself, people still loved me and they, they, actually, um, they actually accepted me for who I was. And when you feel that, it's something completely different because you're so used to always playing a game. You're so used to having to watch what you're going to say next, having to watch... Um, that you're in line with what the kid who's as cool as you thinks too. And when you finally get to that where you can be 
just who you are and people accept you. It's something completely different. And this is absolutely earth-shattering for people who don't know God. When people can come in, and even before they're saved, they get to see people who accept them and who accept them just as they are. Not because of who they can be, not because of it would be cool if they got saved, but because we love you. And I accept you exactly how you are. If we spend time together for the next 10 years and you never understand Jesus Christ, it doesn't change the fact that I love you, just like Jesus to this girl who was so dirty. Because it's not about that. And this is absolutely, like I said, earth-shattering. The fact that you are accepted. And the last, re- the last way that we really show love to these people, and it's possibly, I think, one of the most rare things on the world, is in the term, caring. And um, it kind of goes along with some of these other ones, but the world today is so tremendously cold. The world preaches this, nothing should touch you. No one is, a, as, is as important as you. Nothing is worth your time, and no one is worth your time. Everything is about you. This is what the world tells us, is that we don't have to care about the people down the street. We don't have to care about our neighbors. We don't have to care about people on the other side of the world. Because what this life is about is about me getting what I want, accomplishing what my task is, making my money, getting my possessions, and deciding who I want to be and what I want to do. This is what the world tells us about our life is supposed to be. Caring is something that's completely different than this. Um, This is a move past a normal friendship into a place where people want to feel your soul. It's so much deeper than just um, your life. But they want to understand your very essence as a human being. What makes you, you? What makes up everything in your beliefs? Why you are who you are? It's a caring that, um, it comes from the heart. It's not about faking. You can't fake true caring. And people who have experienced it can tell the difference. What I say is this, is that, um, before I got saved, I was a very, very hurtful person. And, um, my whole entire thing with this act that I was talking about, my whole entire means of life was this, is that when I see somebody, I see all of their flaws and how I'm better than you, how I'm cooler than you, and how if right now you decided to say something to me, I could absolutely smash you because you're not as, be- not as good as I am. This is what my life was. My daily thoughts when I saw somebody new, met somebody, was how ugly, how fat, how mean, how stupid, and how much I couldn't stand people. I remember one time being at a, uh, at a, a family reunion, if you will, a bunch of different family members, and there was this kid there who thought he was really cool, and I made it my mission for the night to make that kid feel uncool. Can you imagine how hurtful that is? But that's what I wanted to do, because I wanted to make him realize the fact that he wasn't as cool as I was, and that he wasn't cool. That's what the world tells us. But this true love that comes um, completely changed my life. And it's something, like I said, that comes from God. It is a God characteristic. It's not something you're going to develop or learn or find. 
Psalm 144.3 says this, O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? This caring comes from God. And then we can actually get a piece of it. And what I mean by is this, is after I started to let God get a hold of me and start to change me, um, I started to connect my life with other people. I started to connect my soul with other people. That when I saw someone hurting, I didn't see a way how to hurt them more, but I felt the hurt in my own heart. That when I saw someone down and I saw someone in pain, it hurt myself because of a caring that was deep inside of me. And vice versa. That when I saw someone be joyful, my soul was joyful as well. That when I just saw people, when I, when I could meet somebody new, and especially when I met those people who I really, really cared for as family, that it made me smile just to see their face. And God brought to me, and I know God will bring to you, um, a caring heart, one that goes beyond everything else, that I really do believe, um, you know, it sounds stupid, and it sounds weird, this, you know, it sounds astrological, but that as we begin to care, it's not just about having a relationship like a life with each other, but that we, like, link our souls to each other, that I really actually feel what you are feeling. You know, prophets in the Old, Old Testament, they said one of the reasons why prophets were so um, on fire for God is that um, they believed that the characteristics of the Old Testament prophet was that they felt the heart of God. That when they spoke out of passion and out of pain, they were speaking out of God's passion and pain. And the same thing nowadays, that as we really create this family, that we link souls and that when you are down, I am down as well. Because it hurts me because we are one body. And I really do believe that this is the essence of what a family is. Is that I can't be as happy as as happy as I want to if I see my family sad. And this is absolutely, you know, it sounds crazy, but it's true. I've seen it in my own life, that when I see people who are sad, it brings me down in my family. And this, this real caring is amazingly hard to find. You're not going to find it anywhere else other than in the church, this family, because I believe that it only comes from God. I don't believe that you can find it anywhere else. And um, as we look through this, it starts to change things too because we care enough that we'll actually start to sacrifice of ourselves. We see this in Romans 12, 12.10. Excuse me. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. It means that you love someone so much that you'd rather see them get something, rather see them prosper than yourself. That's a caring beyond what this world would, would imagine because everything is about our selfishness. But it's where you love someone so much that you'd rather have them get something than you. And um, Paul gave a great example also in 1 Corinthians 8.13. He says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. You see what Paul did here is Paul changed his entire life because of one brother that he wouldn't possibly want to put this brother in danger. He cared enough that he'd say, I will never eat meat the rest of my life if it would cause even one of my brothers to stumble or fall. And this is exactly what it is that I might not even see something wrong with something, but I would put it out of my life to stop one of you 
from stumbling or from falling because I care about you that much. And as we show this to the world, as the world comes in and they see this caring, that people are actually willing to give of themselves, to give part of their life away, and to actually put themselves out there in real caring, it's something they can't find anywhere else. Absolutely nowhere else. I think when I, when I thought about caring, I thought about a song Supertones wrote, and uh, I'm a big Supertones fan. Adonai, on the first CD, and as he goes through, he's talking about like what the church is. And in the, in the lyric, he says, um, he says, our purpose is to worship and to make this body strong. He says, I don't care about your haircut. Can't we all just get along? But he says, not just get along, but to really love and care. Because if our eyes are on the Lord, we can't see nobody's hair. And when I hear that, it's a goofy, it's a goofy lyric. But it breaks my heart because there's so many people who don't fall into that. There's so many people who are looking at hair, who are looking at what our physical uh, bodies are, who are looking at what the outward, um, our reactions, all of this. But what God wants is he actually wants this real caring. A caring that actually just, it breaks your heart because you love people so much. And that, like I said, that's absolutely unfound anywhere else. To not just get along, but the fact that we actually care about the person. Um, this may be you tonight uh, that you think, I don't really know if people care for me. And if that's true, we're probably failing. The church should make you feel like they care. So if that's you, I'm sorry, because we're failing. Because the church is supposed to be there to make you know the fact that we care. The church is a family and when we spend time with this family, there's a few fringe benefits that I want to cover before we get done. And it's this. After we spend time with our family, we actually get in on this. We get the caring, the acceptance, the closeness, companionship. We will gain a few things. One is strength. With a family to back you up, you're stronger than you were when you were alone. With a family back you up, um, good things are rubbing off on you. There's people around you who are positive influences, who are leading you into something better. Not only that, but um, there are examples around you that show you how to be different than what the world is. There's people who um, will actually join with you. You know, it's hard to be different, but isn't it easier to be different when there's someone being different with you? It makes the whole task a lot easier. So when we have this family, it makes that easier. Not only that, but we gain selflessness. Not selfishness, but selflessness. Um, being part of this family, you can't just focus on yourself. As you feel this acceptance, you feel this caring, you can't help but care back. And as you do this, you develop love. You develop the caring heart that comes back at this. Uh, you begin to care for your family more than you even care for yourself. Not only that, but as we become part of this family, we go farther away from Satan. I like when you take something in the Bible and you use it to deduct something like this. Because some of you might say, well, I don't see how that would be so. Um, but in a mechanical way, think of this. A family cannot happen without the growth of love. 1 John 4.16 says this, And so we, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 
if God is love and a family takes love to become a family, then that means that as we begin to be part of this family, we become more like God and less like Satan. So spending time in the family draws you away from Satan and into the arms of God. Not only that, but it's not any less bit spiritual. It's not any less bit important. But there is a ton of enjoyment that comes with being part of the family of God. I can use as my own example once again, I have had more fun with my church family than possibly any other family. I absolutely love the time I've got to spend with my, with my blood family. And probably the reason why I can say that is because most of my blood family has been part of my church family as well. I've had some of the most amazing times, and this isn't any less spiritual. God intended this, that when we get together and we really have a true family in the church, that it's going to be fun. It's not going to be some solemn, weird thing, but it's going to be something that's natural and something that's beautiful and something that's extremely fun. I say this, everyone in the world needs a family. It's an essential part of our life. A place for closeness, a place for acceptance, and a place where they can really feel caring. Um, They want a place where people are real and where people really want to know who they are. And I tell you this, that the church is this family. The church is your family. I just want to pray with you tonight. God, I thank you just for this option Uh, this ability tonight just to be here and be able to hear from your word, be able to learn, and just be able to spend time uh, tonight together. I do pray to you, God, just for those, um, as we go through our, just our needs as people, Lord, that we feel these things constantly, that we would see the fact that your church, that you started, Jesus Christ, is meant to be our family. It's meant to fulfill this need of love and caring. It's meant to take place of, um, of some of the bad things that have happened in our lives, um, some of the bad examples of what family has been, and Jesus Christ to um, even be on top of a good family relationship we might have had in the past. Lord, I just pray to you, Jesus Christ, that we would get in our minds um, your church being a family, your church being our family. And God, that we would develop... Uh, would develop just these hearts of of uh, of really caring Jesus Christ, not just to um, not just to be together, but to actually care. I thank you for tonight, Lord God, and I do pray to you that you would just um, let this sift just deep down in our side of our souls, Lord God, uh, that we wouldn't forget this, but Lord, that we would think about how we can really become the family of God. If we say we already believe now, um, how can we really make ourselves part of this family? I thank you, God, just for tonight. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.